from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Not all buffalo are the same. Each one will have a different personality. Uh, they have long lives. We had to wear this special breed roams in the country, pushing the bushel boundary. We produce more biomass. Uh, we produce more photosynthesis. See what's making the difference in South Dakota. As tensions flare again in the Red Sea, the impact it could have on U.S. ag in the short term. It's right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. New concerns about moving ag products through the Red Sea after the largest militant attack in the area to date. Reuters reporting U.S. and British naval forces shot down 21 drones and missiles that were fired by Houthis. The attacks happening Tuesday in the Southern Red Sea, the UK warship you see here, the HMS Diamond guided missile destroyer is part of the strike force helping keep the Red Sea open to shipping traffic. As tensions rise, Dan Bossi of Ag Resource Company says he has clients in Ukraine concerned about the dangers of shipping in the Red Sea and Suez canals. He says it's putting shipments of Ukrainian corn destined for Southeast Asia at risk. It's also causing shivers to take a route around the Horn of Africa, which is raising the freight cost by about $20 per ton. I think you're gonna find a little U.S. corn supplanting that Ukrainian business. It's gonna be positive for the U.S. market. Maybe it's why corn in Chicago is stabilizing, but I think it's something in agriculture we need to be watching carefully. The shipping issues are actually a very big deal. Okay, and if you think about what's happened here with a major spike in, in ocean freight rates that are tied to things that might be somewhat short-term in nature. U.S. Central Command said no damage was reported, adding that this was the 26th Houthi attack on commercial shipping lanes in the Red Sea since the middle of November. Speaking of trade, the latest outlook shows a growing U.S. ag trade deficit for this year. USDA predicting ag exports for fiscal year 2024 will reach $169.5 billion. Now that's a big decrease from the more than $178 billion predicted last year. Meanwhile, ag imports are expected to reach a record high of $200 billion, up more than $5 billion from a year ago. The projection would lead to a record trade deficit of more than $30.5 billion. That's almost double the $16.7 billion trade deficit of 2023. Something we're seeing more of coming into the country, wheat. USDA's Economic Research Service forecasting wheat imports to be at their highest level in six years for the 2023-2024 marketing year. They say that's particularly the case for a hard winter wheat after consecutive years of drought hit key U.S. growing regions. They say millers have bought from less expensive sources, including competitively priced wheat from the European Union. U.S. imports of hard red winter wheat are at 25 million bushels, a record high, as you can see in red on this chart, while imports of soft red winter and white wheat are relatively close to normal levels. The storm that pushed through the plains and into the Midwest finally making its way to the East Coast. The storm bringing with it power outages, heavy rainfall and high winds to millions of people. The system is expected to dissipate by the week's end, 
but another storm could follow on Friday and into the weekend, impacting many of the same areas. And the cleanup continues after heavy rain hit Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and the county surrounding the mountain resort city. Upwards of four inches of rain fell on Tuesday in 24 hours, causing rivers to overflow their banks. At least 20 roads had to be closed off. Now it's reported they are now all back open. Not just snow, but soon temperatures will look more like January across the country. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with more. Well, of course, uh, the snow is on its way for some, but I want to jump ahead to show you the cold air in behind this next system. These are the high temperatures coming up for Sunday afternoon down below zero into the plains and then just right at freezing as far south as Dallas, Texas. As you go into Monday morning, uh, that frigid air reinforce some of the colder conditions in and across the United States, a low of nine in Dallas, four below in Tulsa, and then down towards 20 below zero back up into the plains. Uh, Chicago uh, could be clocking in at about 10 below zero to start the day on Monday. So something that we're keeping a very close eye on regarding those temperatures, uh, both with uh, the crops and the livestock. Speaking of which, uh, producers, livestock producers are doing all they can to keep their animals safe amid the snow and cold. You got to Pierce County, Nebraska, checking on the livestock there, you know, making sure they are well fed. That's going to be cedar feedlot in Pierce County, uh, Nebraska. Now, I'll have more on your forecast when we could see a break from the cold coming up in just a bit. An update on the story we brought you earlier this week about some employees being stranded overnight on Monday at the Tyson Fresh Meats plant in Holcomb, Kansas because of the extreme weather. It was reported some people actually slept at the plant. Others attempted to go out to their cars and go home before heading back into the plant for shelter. Now, Tyson says it canceled both shifts at the plant and allowed some workers the option of sheltering in place there. They were provided a hot meal and drinks and employees were able to leave Tuesday morning. Now, Cargill says it temporarily closed the plant in Dodge City, Kansas due to the snow and cold and a loss of power. Now, Reuters reports that meat packers slaughtered an estimated 94,000 cattle on Tuesday, down 25% from the previous week. Push the bushel boundary on Ag Day is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide. Raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. More yield on the same number of acres. Now every farmer is trying to push the bushel boundary and they can get some great insights from data collected in state yield contests. Agnes Michelle Rook looks at the soybean results from South Dakota to see what's making the agronomic difference. Results from the 2023 South Dakota Soybean Yield Contest are showing some definite trends in what it takes to achieve high yielding soybeans. Despite another year of drought and heat, South Dakota's top soybean yield in 2023 was 98 bushels per acre. We plant really early and all the beans are treated and they're, no, they're planted in and then uh, we just keep the water going and then we sprayed fungicide. South Dakota State University's Dr. Cheryl Reese analyzed the contest results and says top yield entrants used that strategy, planting earlier soybeans with a longer relative maturity. So longer relative maturity, we have more time in the reproductive phase. Um, when we plant earlier, it's a simple equation of we produce more biomass, uh, we produce more photosynthesis. We get a bigger plant, more nodes, more pods, better yield. 
early planting combined with an in-season fungicide application to keep the plant healthy and green is also beneficial. So we say about a two to three bushel yield advantage, sometimes maybe a few more bushels than that depending upon the year. Reese says the other agronomic key is matching the right soybean variety to the soil type. And so it goes back to knowing your fields, knowing what your problems are, and managing for those problems on a year-to-year -year basis. While they did not see a yield bump from nitrogen fertilizer applications, their research did show adding phosphorus in conventional soybeans was effective. And of course, the biggest yield response is still tied to adequate and timely precip, accounting for 8 to 10 bushels per acre. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. It was a relatively quiet day for grains while livestock markets trade on weather woes. We'll have details coming up in markets now. And later, buffalo are no strangers to the U.S. prairie, but water buffalo are definitely unique. We'll meet a few calling Arkansas home in the country. The world's largest agribusiness is making leadership changes to start 2024. Bayer announcing Brian Neighbor will be the new commercial lead for its North America crop science business. He was previously the commercial lead for the Asia Pacific region. Neighbor takes over the job from Jackie Applegate, who is retiring from Bayer after 31 years. Also taking new roles, Oliver Ritkin is now the chief financial officer. Bayer says this new setup will support the company to help shape agriculture for farmers, consumers, and the planet. Grain markets continue to trade sideways as the industry waits on new data from USDA, while livestock rally on weather issues. Michelle Rook has more in markets now. Corn and soybean futures ending mostly lower on Wednesday. Alan Brugler with Brugler Marketing joining us. And Alan, soybeans down making a new low close for the move. And was there some disappointment about the Brazilian production estimate only being cut like 5 million metric tons? Yeah, I, I think that was the main factor today. We we tried to rally, and then the the implications started to to compute a little bit, particularly in the fact that the CONAP only cut the projected exports year over year by a little over three million tons. So, you know, having a smaller crop on the bean side really doesn't help you much if you're not getting the the, the uh, gains in exports out of that reduction. But we've taken a lot of South American weather premium out of this market since the first of the year. As we go into the WASDE report, how bearish would it have to be, though, for us to not, you know, turn the trend here, maybe? Well, I, I, it's going to be a little difficult to push to uh, push it down, given that we're already leaning bearish and we're assuming USDA isn't going to do a whole lot. If they if they really do adopt the CONOP numbers or go further than that, I think that would be bull-friendly. But we also have to remember the products have been under a tremendous amount of pressure here. The soybean meal and the soybean oil. What about the corn market? We saw a fractional gain in the March contract, but really kind of disappointing not to see more follow through after we kind of had a reversal off of the contract low yesterday. Yeah, it, we would like to see a little more bullish reaction, but I think the trade's just gun shy waiting on the, uh, the grain stocks report on Friday. We've had some nasty surprises in those grain stocks reports in previous quarters. Uh, that is kind of a multiplier effect because any crop production change shows up in grain stocks. And of course, the demand changes show up in grain stocks. Corn export sales have been excellent uh, compared to a year ago, still down from two years ago. 
we think they're probably going to raise the ethanol consumption of corn because we had uh, the uh, census data and also the EIA data suggesting that we're, li- we're at a little stronger there. Uh, but again, a little gun shy, I think. Thanks for joining us, Alan Brugler, Brugler Marketing. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. Bring new technology, knowledge, and opportunity together at Ag Innovation 2024 in Kansas City on February 13th. Register today to take part in the event. Well, the theme of this forecast is going to be not only the storm system coming through this weekend, but the cold air in behind it. One way that you can get a good indication of where that cold air is located is looking at the jet stream and how far it sinks to the south. Remember, in the summer, it's about how far to the north the jet stream pushes. Indicates that warming forecast, warming, a warmer forecast. This is the exact opposite to where those lines are falling to the south. So this is Saturday and into Sunday. Uh, the purple continues to sit back up into Canada and rotate around, keeping the cold air around for an extended period of time. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday into Wednesday, and then you almost have to tack on a day to transition out of the extreme cold back into average temperatures. And again, starting to show up in this jet stream is the potential for more ridging back out here to the west. The stronger this ridge is, the faster some of this cold air will retreat to the northeast. But it is January now, so there's a chance that we could see this kind of change up a bit and keep the colder air around longer. But right now, you got until at least Wednesday with some of the coldest air in and across the United States. So what's that look like on the temperature outlook map? No surprise, similar to what we had in summer, except the exact opposite and nearly two thirds, if not 90% of the United States, possibly a below normal between the 15th and the 19th. Again, on this temperature outlook with the bullseye, uh, the greatest chance of below normal temps uh, being right into Missouri, as well as uh, parts of Tennessee and Illinois uh, during that time period. Again, that goes through about the 19th. As for your Thursday morning and Thursday afternoon, uh, you'll start to see that jet stream, the jet stream lines, but also what's going to happen down at the surface. They got a low pressure system that's going to pick up a lot of moisture. Now, the one concerning thing about this system compared to the one that we just went through is the availability of moisture in the Gulf of Mexico but also the severe weather potential going into our Thursday night and Friday. We had some with the previous system, and there's, again, the potential for severe weather back into the Gulf Coast states as this pushes through. So there's Friday uh, at 10 p.m. Uh, your low is right there, and then the reinforcing shot of cold air is back up here into Montana. So again, this is Friday at 10 p.m. A lot of this is going to move up to the north and east. This is not just one storm for one place. This is going to get national attention initially with the snow and also the severe weather, but also the cold air in behind it. Cut Bank, Montana, check out that high, eight below with some snow showers. Canadian, Texas, partly cloudy, high about 56 degrees, low of 16. Meridian, Mississippi, partly cloudy, high of 67. A wind farm in north central Oklahoma may not survive a court ruling. We'll have details next. And later, the unusual herd of buffalo dotting the Arkansas Plains. That story today in the country. Drover's Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Discover your possibilities and enhance your herd's potential. 
A federal judge in Oklahoma is ordering the removal of an 84-turbine wind farm. It spreads over 8,400 acres in Osage County. The ruling is the latest step in a decades-long legal battle over mining on the Osage Reservation. The ruling was against three companies at issue whether a mining permit was required to construct the wind farm, which is located in tall grass prairie between Pahuska and Fairfax. A 2017 appellate court decision determined the construction of the wind farm constituted mining, and because of that, a lease from the Osage Nation's Minerals Council was required, but the developers failed to get one during or after construction. Now, the Osage Allotment Act of 1906 states the Osage Nation owns the subsurface rights to minerals in that area. A trial date for damages due to the tribe has not been set, but a spokesman for the Osage Minerals Council said the tribe would expect at least the value of damage to the land, along with all lawyer fees, profits, and tax incentives. Now, it's estimated the cost to remove the turbines alone will be about $300 million. An Arizona rancher accused of murder in the shooting death of a migrant has rejected a plea agreement. We've been keeping you updated on the case involving 75-year-old George Allen Kelly. He was arrested last January following the death of a migrant from Nogales, Mexico on his ranch. Kelly allowed a plea offer of negligent homicide to expire. It would have carried a maximum sentence of eight years in prison. Now, if he's convicted of murder, he could face up to 23 and a half years in prison. A new trial date is set for March 21st. Up next, not all buffalo are the same. We'll see some cattle cousins in Arkansas where these water buffalo roam. Have you ever seen a water buffalo in person? One Arkansas farm recently hosted a farm field day for several FFA students so they could get an up-close look at them. The Arkansas Farm Bureau takes us there. We are here today with the Genoa FFA group for Buffalo Field Day, showing our, uh, the students our water buffalo. We are also here to eat a little water buffalo today. Just don't tell the buffalo. We love the animal. They have long lives. They're very hardy. They're delicious to eat. And the milk is high quality, low cholesterol, high butter fat, over 8%. So they are really a, uh, a special animal. Each one will have a different personality. Uh, they have long lives. They have ability for 20 to 25 calves and they can live from 25 to 30 years old. Worldwide there's over 180 million so they're a little bit exotic in this country but for the most part in the rest of the world they're just like a everyday farm animal. They're very docile, very friendly. In fact they'll recognize anything that comes into their pasture and they'll recognize if you leave the gate open or unlatched. They'll be the first ones out I guarantee you. They're a special animal. They, they, they're not a, uh, each one will, there's a lot of wheels turning up there for them and each one will know you and react to you in, in their way. And with today's ag, uh, sometimes it helps to diversify a little bit into different animals or different products. Um, we also raise some Mangalisa pigs. Um, we grow some chickens. Uh, we do some mules. and. We really enjoy the farm life and hate to see the trend of less and less farms all the time. 
Um, so that's one way, one reason we like to give these events to the community and, and hold them to try to uh, bring more, more people into the farming industry. Uh, shoot, I think we're down to 98, 99% of the people living off the farm nowadays. We find it, or we, we believe it's quite important to know where your food comes from, how it was growing, and what is in it. And our thanks to the Arkansas Farm Bureau for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Davis. Have a great day.